0: The Linux action show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL. and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Yeah. Linux Action Show, episode 361. My name is Chris. My
1: name is Noah. Hey, Noah, good morning to you. Good morning, Mr. Chris.
0: Are you ready for me to tell folks about the huge show today?
1: I want to hear about the huge show. I bet you do. I bet you do.
0: All right, well, coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, we're going to switch my wife, Angela, to Linux live on the show. This is something we've been planning literally for years, but in the last 48 hours, we've been working almost nonstop even without sleep. So if we look a little tired, you'll have to forgive us. And then we've been meticulously preparing for this transition, a long-time diehard Mac user making the switch to the Linux desktop at a pivotal moment. Can it be pulled off? Well, we'll find out live. We'll bring her in. She's on her way to the studio right now. A little behind-the-scenes information. Her machine's actually still being set up a little bit right now. Some stuff is still importing. So it is down to the wire. It'll all be happening live on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. Hopefully we don't blow it. Because there's a lot riding on this. Uh, but, of course, we're also going to cover the news. Uh, but did you know that 78% of the companies in the world could be considered open source companies in some regard? I know that sounds crazy. We'll break that down for you. Why Java might be disappearing from the web sooner than you might expect. And ZFS in Debian? Like, really? Built in? Yeah, it might be a thing. We'll tell you all about that. Plus, we've got the feedback segment. But before all that, Noah. The picks. It is our picks. All right. All right, let's start with the Runs Linux this pick. Uh, this week, uh, this is this pick that's been sent in. Some of you guys might know about this, but pretty much all the most awesome robots in the world run Linux, mm-hmm. and they either run Linux on the robot themselves or they run Linux um, in the control software. And so, we have in the show notes uh, about a 30-minute-long video that covers all kinds of robots, from from robots that have military purposes to robots that are going to be love bots one day, and how Linux. You, and as you watch the documentary, you'll see Linux used in various different aspects. So. Many of the awesome robots in the world run Linux, but the Osimo is one that we've talked about before. And uh, if we watch closely, you'll see Linux in the action shot as they are programming the sophisticated robot.
2: Continue to make improvements.
0: Go, Ossie. Go.
2: Osimo's most innovative feature Watch is it. its advanced, advanced intelligence.
1: Now, what are you seeing there, Noah? What are you seeing right there? I see Ubuntu. I yeah. see a terminal. Yeah. I see Firefox. Yeah, oh, look at that. They, they know which browser to use. That's huh, exci- yeah, that's yeah, exciting. Yeah, yeah,
2: innovative yeah. feature is its
0: advanced intelligence. Looks like Skype, too. Uh, I think I might have found Man, Skype how terminal. Many ter- look at how many terminals. Yeah. She- yeah, that's good. Now, th- we actually have uh, an a action close-up shot here that we can zoom into. And uh, looks like uh, Mc- M-, M Clean is the machine name there, huh? Mm-hmm.
1: Nice. Why? Why do you think everything else is in Chinese and the title yep. bar is in English, and the application outputs in English yeah,
0: yeah. too? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, that's the thing we never have to worry Weird. about as yeah. native English speakers. Which just that must be super frustrating. Yeah. Uh, super, super interesting documentary though. We were watching it on the pre-show, getting a little creeped out actually. Uh, it's ones we've talked about before on the show, but there are some robots that frankly uh, do bother me. Like, uh, like this Boston Dynamics robot. And so picture it, folks. Yeah, Maybe uh, some of your favorite national parks will one day be patrolled by a Boston Dynamics robot that just sits there, idle, and then gets the start command and wakes up and begins walking around like some sort of zombie horse from hell. Look at that. And now it's hunting you, human, and it's looking for you. So this documentary's got all kinds of great Linux-powered robots. that will probably kill you one day.
1: Yeah, I don't think they're going to kill you one day. And I
0: think they probably will no, kill you I one don't
1: day. think they're going to kill you one day.
0: The weaker animal always dies. No, it's just the way it goes. It's the circle of life. Kumbaya. Perhaps. And uh, Boston Dynamics and Google, are bringing it to you. One robot at a time. Was that sent in to us by an audience member? It was. That was a great one. Sent in by Billy R. Thank you, Billy, for sending that into the show. Uh, He says, I was watching this video about modern robots, and right there, about six minutes in, when they're showing the Honda Osimo, I noticed Honda was using Ubuntu, huge fan of the show. I thought you guys might like to see that. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Billy, for sending that in. That was really cool. Uh, All right. Let me tell you about our first sponsor this week. And then we have got an app pick that is right in line with this week's topic. Uh, But first, I want to tell you about DigitalOcean. In fact, part of our transition this week is being made possible by an own cloud instance hosted up in DigitalOcean. We'll give you more details about that later in the show. Oh, what is DigitalOcean? Oh, I'm sorry. I probably should have said something. I think you'll be really impressed. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own cloud server. And you can get started in less than 55 seconds, which is pretty quick if you think about how long it takes to actually spin up a virtual server. That sort of blows my mind. And it starts at only $5 a month. We'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a pretty terabyte! A terabyte of transfer. And you know, as Linux users, we could be pretty savvy with that because a terabyte's quite a bit. I, I think... Uh, if I, I, I think back to, like, when I had uh, servers and colos, and the way it would bill is, like, I, I would I would always pay, like, $1,000 to get, like, somewhere around a terabyte originally. I mean, that, the pricing there is insane. And so now when I think about having a terabyte built in, I'm like, well, maybe I'll put a BitTorrent client on there and... Maybe I'll help out a project one week. I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do with your DigitalOcean Droplet. own cloud, GitLab. Make it the back-end infrastructure for a project you're working on. Use it to easily scale when you're having a big day at your company. There's all kinds of really great things. And for $5 a month at the starting price, the value is insane. And they got data center locations in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, and London. And they just opened up a brand new data center over in Frankfurt which is actually a central uh, connection spot. Uh, it's uh, one of the best spots to get over. They've got, they've got 40 gigabit-e networking on each hypervisor, and they have enhanced storage super fast, their fastest SSDs yet in this data center, and it sits right on top of the German commercial Internet exchange. So it's a great spot to be to have super fast connectivity to that part of the world. And it's just, a, it's just another, And it's just one of the options you can deploy to. And then on top of all of that, you manage it with DigitalOcean's incredible dashboard. This interface is so intuitive. It's so well-built. It really is the final blow. It's the finishing move for DigitalOcean. They built it on top of Linux and KVM. They have unbelievable performant machines. They have tier one data centers. Bandwidth is super fast. They have some of the best coordination with upstream open source projects. They implement some of the greatest technologies like Docker. And yet they wrap it all up with this super, super awesome interface. Very intuitive control panel, which you can replicate on a larger scale with DigitalOcean's straightforward API which they just released a brand new version of. I know some people in our audience use that to do snapshots before their package management. Other folks use it to plug into their puppet management infrastructure. Or an applet in their Ubuntu toolbar. There's all kinds of things you can use. And when you use our promo code, LASDigital, L-A-S-Digital, when you check out, you're gonna get a $10 credit. Well, it's a $5 rig. So that means you're gonna try out that $5 rig two months for free. Go do something awesome. After you watch this week's episode, go see how cool it would be to try your own own cloud server. I took a device. I moved it completely off of Google Apps. No more Gmail, no more Google Calendar, no more Google Contact Sync. I put it all up in own cloud, and I set my phone to sync to that on my own DigitalOcean droplet. It's really nice. And then later on, I just expand upon that. And now that we're transitioning my wife Angela over to Linux, I'm using that same own cloud instance to synchronize files between her multiple machines now. It is super slick to have all of that under my own control. And DigitalOcean's pricing structure makes it so much more straightforward to move up if I need to. It's a straightforward slam dunk. So go over to DigitalOcean.com, try out some of their one-click deployments, go do a package update, anything. It is incredible. And when you use the promo code last you get a $10 credit, you can try it out two months. Absolutely free, no credit card required. DigitalOcean.com, last digital. Thanks DigitalOcean. You guys rock. I, uh, I also, I can't believe I forgot to mention this. Hmm. I just set up a droplet uh, to be a Minecraft server for my son. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what was sweet about that is I was looking like there are hosted Minecraft solutions out there. Mm-hmm. But
1: I can get a droplet right. for $5. And then you make control yeah. over that. You know, the other neat I thing it. about DigitalOcean, too, that that uh, I've started to use recently is I used to have them email my SSH key out. Or, uh, I'm sorry, they used to email the password out <laughs> sure. when you create a droplet, right? Well, then uh, I accidentally ended up getting locked out of my account because the email server went down. <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. I could, So, but then the, the neat thing is, is once you add your SSH key, and then, of course, with the YubiKey, it makes it even that much easier. But uh, when I go to deploy a server now, I can click, like, if you gave me your public key Key on your YubiKey? Let's say I go to I spin up a new chat server for uh, for Jupiter Broadcasting mm-hmm. for doing the um, the XMPP thing. I can just click Chris's key, Noah's key, and now boom! When I create that droplet, both of us have access to it. That is really yeah, slick. It's super slick. Rather than having to SSH into the box and then you have to create the uh, the authorized uh, keys file, and then of course in CentOS you have to change the permissions of the SSH directory and change the permissions of the. It just it's it, mm-hmm. one button and yep. it's done. And then the other nice thing is it doesn't matter what distribution I'm using if I'm putting it on a bunch to or sent us. It's the same process for me, I just click that yeah. button.
0: Charim's so. asking, uh, I put it on, I, it's a droplet mm-hmm. with two gigabytes of memory, because they have a bunch of range of droplets you can choose from. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I think mine worked out to be, ten I think that's $10 a month? Yeah. Which was still just about as much as uh, I would pay for uh, any hosting service, it was any good. I, I, yeah, I think it's 5 12 for
1: 5 Yeah. and then a gig for, for 10 Yeah, something, I yeah. don't know what it is, but mm-hmm.
0: it's, I, I essentially I priced it, I, I had like three or four Minecraft hosting providers I priced it to, and it worked out to be roughly the same, and I get full control and no user limits. The only only limitation yeah. is what the resources are, but a lot of right. the hosted systems have hard user limits. And I didn't want to worry yeah. about that either.
1: And the reality is what are the chances you're actually going to bump against that hard yeah, or yeah, uh, yeah, Bump resources. against the resource? And I'd mode, rather
0: yeah. have it be slow, anyways, if that's the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have an app pick. Our desktop app pick this week for Linux is pretty apropos, if you're apropos, if you're switching from the Mac. One of the things that you might be familiar with is Apple's hit-and-miss backup system called Time Machine. And yeah, it's known for its fancy UI, but one thing it's pretty good at is just wrapping something around R-Sync to give you revision changes. Have you mm-hmm. ever used Time Machine to restore anything? Really? All right. Let's see if I can find Apple Time Machine UI because you got to see this. What would I
1: install Time Machine on? I don't Mr. like Chris?
0: like a client. Like I thought maybe you were like helping a client uh, client machine. No. All right. So check this out. This this thing. The reason why I want to show you this is because I want to show you kind of what the alternative is for Linux. How mm-hmm. it's a little different. So so the Apple version. Let's see. Uh, well, I guess we could just uh, here. Let's just here's the Apple UI. I don't know if this is. So
2: this
0: is uh, here. We don't, need the, we don't need the music. But when you go to restore files with the Apple Time Machine, you start in the location in the file system where you want to restore a file from, right? Mm-hmm. So here he's in this demo folder, and then he clicks the little Time Machine icon in Mac OS. And then it clicks this, so he goes there, enter Time Machine, right? Mm-hmm. And, and this is kind of my rough understanding. Uh, now watch this, Noah. It <laughs> drops into this whole space-like UI where you have time travel. Have you ever seen huh. this? No. Yeah, and so now you're in this, you're in this space-time, and you see you have the, along the right-hand side is your date and time, right? Mm-hmm. And then down here is your date, your current date, where you can restore files. Wow. And then you fly through space as you go back in time. I see. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little like it sounds cutesy until like you really need to restore a file, and all you want to do is get to your file, and yeah. you don't need to play a video game. Right, because what this is a yeah. neat video game. I, I don't want to play restore my data the game though, and that's <laughs> what uh, that's what uh, time machine is. It's neat. It's fancy. The basic concept here is you're syncing files. You're keeping track of revisions. You're allowing you to restore revisions. The difference in how you present that. You could make arguments which way is more valid than other ways. Right. But the uh, the application we're going to talk about today essentially implements the same basic concept. It's called TimeShift. And it's available for Linux. TimeShift is an application that provides functionality similar to, like, System Restore or a time machine on macOS, it protects your system by taking incremental snapshots of the file system at regular intervals. These snapshots can be restored later to bring your system to the exact state and time it was when the snapshot was taken. It's using a combination of rsync and hard links. so you don't have a bunch of d- uh, duplication files, and common files are shared between those snapshots, so that way the snapshots, uh, you don't need to store like that MP3 file in every single snapshot. You mm-hmm. store it once, and then you hard link that uh, MP3 file to all the snapshots, so you save sure. a bunch of space that way. Um, and each file, each snapshot is a full system backup that can actually be brew- browsed with a file manager, so that's pretty nice too. So you can just mm-hmm. browse there and look for the data. Now I have had some problems uh, installing uh, Time uh, Time Shift under uh, Arch. I believe it. I believe there is a Debian package. If you want something a little more basic. Something uh, else like this. There's a couple other ones. The first one I would go with is called r snapshot. We've talked about that before. It's kind of the same thing, command line only. Again, r sync based and back in time, which has a GUI. Same concept. I would just stick with r snapshot though if you're having a hard time with a with a GUI like this, because there's a lot of good guides out there for using r snapshot. So two applications for you to use. Because we're talking about switching from the Mac today, we thought it was kind of appropriate to do something that kind of reminded us of Time Machine functionality. So maybe those of you who are using Macs and looking at switching Linux and watching this episode could have. Some Some similar equivalent functionality. So go check out TimeShift. And if you have any troubles installing it, uh, there is a form on there. But uh, when I, 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 let's see, do I still have the air? No, I didn't. I didn't keep the air. I had a build air when I tried to install it. But I did see they have a dev package. Um, And it's on uh, Launchpad, so there may be a PPA
1: as well. Not saying, but just saying it's in the repo. Oh, great. Yeah.
0: Good, good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's in the Arch repo. It just doesn't build. So, I think that's a, you're gonna have a better, you're gonna have a better time. And it's actually in the software center, too? Yep. In the software. Okay, mm-hmm. Cool. Time shift. And uh, y- it's a TJ Tech. TG Tech. Uh, just check the show notes because the link's a little hard to read out loud.
1: TG Tech. TJ. T-J. See, it's, T-J. J. it's two E's, though.
0: Yeah. T E E. I know. I know. J-E-E. I, know. I, know T-G. I'm a, I know. I know. Oh, I know. I know. Okay. All right. Now, uh, Noah. Chris. One of the questions we've gotten in this show and tech snap a lot mm-hmm. is can you recommend a decent open-source trouble
1: ticket system? So I had one pile of my inbox that is flooded with Emails from people saying, oh, "Hey, correct. is Alta Speed hiring? Is do you have any openings?" I'm not moving to Grand Forks because I really don't prefer forty below zero weather. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not for everyone. Yeah. And then in the other half of my email, I have people that are saying, "Oh, um, how good is your support? And how, could you help me out? I have a couple things. Would you be able to do that remotely?" And I thought I, we can combine these together and pair these people that that are looking for a job up with the people that that need some help, and it could even work out. If we have enough people that want a job, and enough of the places and the people that want some work done, you know, we can kind of <clears throat> broker that connection. Right. But the problem is, uh, right now we're using a, a a custom system that we wrote in house to deal with all of our ticketing things because I'm weird. And and as I looked at as I looked at rolling that out, I thought, well, this doesn't really scale to to meet those needs. We'd have to make a bunch of changes. And I thought, rather than um, rather than 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 make all these changes to our software, why not go back to a uh, an actual ticketing system that's open source, and can, and if we're going to make changes, we'll make them so that the community can benefit hmm, as a whole. And so cool. we looked at OS Ticket, and um, we I actually I put a couple guys on it, and they. Uh, they in, they got OS ticket up and running and installed it and put it into what we call the sandbox, which is a, a room that we have set up for testing and playing yeah, with stuff. Yeah. And and I've played with it for a little over a week. Um and they're playing with it a little longer and th- eventually we came to the decision that, yep, it's gonna it's gonna solve the problems that we need. We're gonna use it. And so we are rolling that uh, into production. Actually, they're, they're doing nice. it as I speak, actually. I think they were finishing up at the end of Friday and I think they'll pick it back up on Monday. So but- you can are you doing the self-hosted or are you doing their host? No, uh, no, we're gonna host it. But the 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 advantage of os ticket is one it's completely open source two it runs on the common uh, common uh, build structures of linux so in, for example database it's using sql for the front end it's using php so all of those stuff you're familiar with. Well, stuff that I'm familiar yeah. with, and more importantly, stuff that other people in the community are going to be familiar with. Right. So when there's a problem and yeah. we need support, yeah. um, you know, it's pinging somebody isn't going to be an issue. Things I like about it: it goes, it, it sends me an email every time, uh, every time something is missed. So right now our ticketing system, uh, it'll generate an email up when the ticket's created, and of course when it's updated. What it doesn't do, and what this does, is let's say I forget a ticket, which happens from time to time, <laughs> it'll email me and say, "Hey, buddy, we all need to work as a team here, and really? make sure that we're solving." Yeah, and it actually says it's. Something like that, and it says uh, we need to all work as a team here and make sure that we're addressing ter- tickets promptly. Please go in and update this ticket because it's a day overdue. And then it continues to generate things. We can tie it in with an SMS system. We can tie it in with mm. our phone system. So it looks like it it, it is is and it has an API as well. So you could write stuff to it if, yeah. you, if
0: you needed to. You know, it's funny when you when you suggested this one is like. I wouldn't mind doing this just for Jupyter Broadcasting, mm-hmm. and like, and then I was thinking like mm-hmm. Ange and switching her to Linux, she could open up
1: support. Tickets. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> no, and you know what's great is that it does have a customer end that I that uh, they, they can do they can ticket. do it, and and, yeah. and we have it shut off because I don't want. Doesn't uh, allow you to receive tickets in by email too. Yes, cool. and they can, and customers can also respond to the tickets. The reason I don't like that is because our ticks have a nasty habit of not always using. Uh, professional demeanor when they're updating tickets yeah. and if they forget about that yeah. that goes out to a yeah. customer that would be bad so we have that part of the system shut off uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. maybe as that's, we refine no, those things we can we I've can learned change that's that, a good idea myself you know and there's other things too like they'll, they'll, they 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 absent sometimes it's just an honest mistake but you won't think about something john the the ceo comes in and he says here's my password i'm writing it down on a piece of paper well that's insecure we're not going to leave that um, so they'll say well i need to get it and put it back and get it and put it back oh, i'll just throw it in the ticket well that that sounds like a good idea yeah. except that was never supposed to be documented yeah. and and so yeah, 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 to yeah. get that going now out an on email the chain. And, yeah, yeah, it's just yeah. It's a bad idea. Yeah. yeah, I agree. It does sound like a very good term room. So it sounds good. It does. Uh, somebody asked about the documentation search. Now, that's my one gripe with the, the software. The document, the knowledge base, it has a built-in knowledge base, but to the best of my knowledge, we couldn't find a way to limit it so only support staff can see the knowledge base. That's a problem because that would be a fantastic place to to outline infrastructure for different clients and and the way we like I this client it. has a has a user it's a little more challenging that kind of thing. Was, so, well, just uh, th- this client has five routers and they they are oh, gonna, okay. you know just general documentation. But you don't want your other clients to be able to see that, right? Exactly. Well, and to the be- the way I understand now it does support internal notes. Tickets right, right, only. but you you put. I it, can you imagine what that would look like if they're not organized. It just it does internal notes on the customer portfolio. Yeah, I see so yeah. after like four or five, it's yeah. going to be just a scroll fest yeah, to try yeah. and get to things. So, yeah. but overall, I think it's an amazing yeah. project, and I think it's going to absolutely suit our needs. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to work really yeah.
0: well. Yeah, I also I would also give a plug to uh, as uh, as Kanatron uh, in their Canterton in the chat room is saying is OTRS, another really good open source ticketing uh, system. Well, boy can't believe I just said really good in ticketing system in the same sentence. Another open source ticketing system. I don't know if I think any of them are really good because they're all a little torturous. But um, mm-hmm. uh, I've used OTRS in the past, too. So this one that Noah's talking about is OS Ticket, And you can find it at osticket.com. And we have a link in the show notes. And maybe you can give us a follow-up in a little a couple of weeks on how it's been working
1: out for you. Yeah, After yeah. You guys it It'll be a little bit more in a couple of weeks before I think we can really give it uh, yeah, a full true. drive. But Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, uh, just uh, this is one of our, I guess this is the last reminder
0: Linux Fest Northwest is next freaking weekend. Can you believe it? April twenty fifth and twenty sixth, Bellingham, Washington. We're going to be there. The whole crew's going to be there. Uh, they all start flying in. That's why Noah's here in studio. Very very excited about this. We'd love to see you there. There's going to be an after party on Saturday. We'll be attending that. And if you are in our meetup group over at meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting, as the days get closer, we'll probably post a couple of updates there to let you know on our plans. I'd love to see you there. So go meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting to RSVP for Linux Fast Northwest or any future Jupiter Broadcasting on location event in your area or local here to the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Linux Fest Northwest is going to be exciting though
1: It is, but I don't think this is the last time we're going to mention it
0: No, well no, this is the last episode That it's coming up mm-hmm. Yeah, Because yeah. next week it's happening And right. you can, you're going to be able to watch it live We'll be doing the stream live Saturday and Sunday JBLive.tv, mm-hmm. assuming all goes well We don't have some sort of technical failure uh, So if you don't get to go to the Fest You can at least watch it live with us And hang out in the chat room mm-hmm. And just make a weekend out of it if you'd like And when you're on the go, JBLive.info will give you audio streams uh, So you can uh, tune in even in the car Really neat. And, you know, I should give a plug, too. If you've watched some of our app picks in the past and want to find other ones, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks. All our previous runs Linux picks, desktops, open source project spotlights, Android picks, distros we've talked about. You can find them there. jupyterbroadcasting.com slash lastpicks. But Noah, with the picks all done, that means it's
1: time for the news. Hey, it's the news and this episode is brought to you by
0: ting.com. Ting is mobile that makes sense. Ting is our mobile service provider and mobile that you should really up in. I mean, I'm just going to say, you know why it makes sense? Tell me why it makes sense. I mean, it's it's different than everybody else's system. It's what you what you pay, what you use is what you pay for. It's like they just take your minutes, they just take like your minutes, your messages and your like your megabytes and they just add them all up. I mean, it's it's mind-blowing. But it's true. That's what Ting does. It's a flat $6 a month for the lines. So you can have as many lines as you want. You just pay $6. And then it's your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. They add that up. And it's really straightforward. So, for me, being a small business, I'm able to have multiple lines at a cost point that I never would be able to accomplish before. And now Ting has support for GSM and CDMA networks. So, there's a whole new range of devices you can bring and a whole new range of reception that's available to you, which is great when we're traveling around. So, we can switch between GSM or CDMA devices, which is kind of boss level stuff.
1: And Noah has something kind of unique using their CDMA. GSM. Or GSM yeah. devices. So this, I think, I think we've talked about this before. We can talk about it. No, again. I don't think we ever have talked about it. Really. Well, I don't know. All right, okay, all right. Well, here's what it is. This thing, and I, I don't know what to compare it to. It's The size but, of a business card. Yeah, roughly. yeah, uh, roughly. I mean, I I can put it inside of my wallet. But what uh, what this is, a, it is? It is it is an unlocked GSM cell phone. Yeah, there it goes in the wallet for I'll like hold that up a nineteen dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. He literally does carry that so, phone in his wallet. I, I put it I put it right next I put it right next to my my Bitcoin. Don't don't take the private key.
0: Do so, you? Okay, hold on. So you got that you got that phone nineteen dollars off
1: eBay. Do you remember yeah, the model? Or twenty dollars maybe? I don't know something like that. Uh, I don't. But you know what? Here's what you do. You go Google tiny GSM unlocked phone in eBay. <laughs> you will search. Yeah. Uh unlocked GSM phone in eBay and it's the first one that comes up. And it's super cheap and the battery lasts like two weeks. Two it has weeks. It's a micro USB cable, so it's awesome. Does have a user replaceable battery, does come in Japanese, and it has a so that sucks. Oh really? But yeah, you can switch it. To yeah, immersion. you can. You can
0: uh, and it has around. a leather back, which is kind of neat. And you put the nine dollar Ting GSM SIM card in that, mm-hmm. and then you f- you have an unlocked phone that you're only paying for it. You so what you do is because you're kind of a busy guy is you have your regular line, right? And then you have an emergency line.
1: Yeah. You know you've, you've had those clients that they they get a hold of your number and then they don't go through the proper channels oh, and yeah. then so you're on you're it's like three in the morning and you may be in Seattle working uh you know with Jupiter Broadcasting trying to get some very important things done <laughs> and then the phone just con- constantly keeps constantly ringing, ringing. So this thing gets shut off and gets put aside, and then, but I want my wife or my kids to be able to hold, get a hold of me. And then last night, actually, my phone died, right? Right. And, and, and so my, I have that number now, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. My, my, wife, uh, my wife had an issue with our son, and so she called me on this thing, which stays on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And because it lasts two weeks,
0: it's really literally on 24-7, so his wife always knows he's available on that phone, even if he's having a busy day and has to turn his main phone off. And so it's $9 to get, uh, to get the GSM. Uh, sim. There's no contract. There's no early termination fee, and he's only paying for the usage plus six dollars to have right. that line. Yeah, it's yeah. This, crazy would, ap- this would
1: Absolutely not be possible without Ting.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. Would I would yeah. n- never have done it. Yeah. Yep. And you could put everything from devices like that up to the Nexus Six on Ting,
1: and without with it, without even making changes to the account. I yeah. just take the SIM card. I just yeah. stick it in my well, next device. And I was
0: gonna say, and I've been able to do all this without ever needing to call Ting. They have they yeah. have uh, they have customer service. You can call them one eight five five Ting FTW. I've never needed to. I can do it all through the webpage. Mm-hmm. Another mm-hmm. route you can go if you just want. A nice phone that's just kind of ready to go with like a camera and a modern version of Android, uh, for I gotta imagine a limited time. Uh, they have the Moto G, which the, the price has been fluctuating a little bit depending on um availability. But if you go to last.ting.com, that supports our show, and you can get the Moto G starting around $91. That's a, that's a modern Motorola Android device, mm-hmm. off contract, unlocked, you own it for $91 and you only pay for your usage. That's crazy. Last.ting.com, you gotta go check them out. Last.ting.com. Thanks, Ting, for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. Okay, I love this headline. We had to go with this, Noah. I have been pushing for open source in corporate IT since it was a bad thing. Like, it was like you give you a bad rep. Like, you were, mm-hmm. you were like, you know, and then, and since like, since like SCO was actively trying to harm Linux's public perception, perception in the business, I was there advocating before and after. And so now to see this headline today. Makes me so happy. 78% of companies run open source software according to a Black Duck Software and Northbridge survey that they conducted together. They found that open source software was in 78% of businesses. Now they try to spin this, to have like kind of a scary cybersecurity not managing things very well. And I'll get to that in a second. But this is the ninth annual future of open source survey they've done. And so we have nine years worth of kind of perspective. And that's I think makes this particularly interesting. So Black Duck CEO said in a statement, the results this year, it's become more evident that companies need their management and governance of open source to catch up to the usage. This is the scary part they're trying to introduce. Mm -hmm. look, yeah, now 78% of you are using open source, but you don't have management policies that are appropriate. They don't scale, you know, you're not ready for all that technology. you don't have the legal and operational risk fully assessed out yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's the sort of the scary twist on this. But here's the juicy details. 78% of respondents said their companies run parts or all of its operations on OSS, and 66% said the company creates software for customers built on open source. That's kind of incredible. Uh, this statistic has nearly doubled since 2010. of respondents uh, said five years ago that they used open source. So we've gone from 42 in five years to 78. 64% of companies currently participate in open source. That's up from 50% in 2014. That's pretty good. Over the next two to three years, they project that number to be at 88% of companies to
1: contribute to open source that are using open source at some level, large companies. So this is an obviously, <clears throat> this is a kind of a sweet spot for me, right? Because this is this is essentially what we do. We go into companies and we tell them to take out their proprietary stuff, mm-hmm. we tell them to put in open source, and of course we explain the va- advantages. But <clears throat> I think that it's short-sighted to say that, well, you don't have these the management policies in place, so open source is dangerous. The reality right, is right. the reality is if you think that you can solve your security problems with software, be it proprietary or open source, <laughs> then you don't understand the technology and you don't understand the problems. Or human nature either. Well, really. That's the problem. It's yeah. human nature. Yeah. <laughs> the human component is always the weakest. And until you fix that, until you solve that, you it doesn't matter if you're using proprietary or open source. In fact, you'll be better off with open source because at least then the only weakness is the is right. the human aspect and not Right. Uh, you know, the, the giving some, s- holes that you didn't even yeah, know were
0: there. Yeah. Not some sort of a proprietary company hiding up holes because it hurts the bottom right. line.
1: The, I y- agree. The biggest thing that companies can do if you're out there working for a company, if it, the, the number one problem I see, if you don't recognize somebody in your office, do something about it. If you walked up to somebody and they don't have an ID tag on yeah. or, and you don't recognize them, yeah. that per- at least, at least... Can I tell you a story? Yeah, please. So uh, when I was doing
0: um, uh, IT work for a bank that's no longer even around since the 2008 crash, uh, they had bought um, a bank. I think it was called Whidbey Island Banker. I can't remember the bank at the time what it was called. It was... Mm -hmm. And um, <clears throat> so they bought this bank, and it was my first time I'd ever visited. And they were over in Palosbo, which is across the water. You got to take the ferry, and mm-hmm. I, so I'd never ever—I've never even been in this area. Yeah. And I show up one day, and I'm wearing my nice outfit for work. I've got, you know, I, I work like I'm supposed to. I look like I'm supposed to be there. I've got a clipboard, mm-hmm. and <laughs> first time I'd ever step foot in this branch, and I just walked in right in. So good yep. morning to the to the to the uh, uh, to the teller, mm-hmm. and walked into their back wiring closet and went to work. And yep. I thought to myself, I could just be anybody right yeah, now. That's right. And all you have to do is just yep. look like you're supposed to be there. That's right. Now, f- I, funny enough, the second time I visited, then one of the gals that had been there for a while actually called up the central office and said, is this guy is supposed to be here? But it took till my second visit until somebody said something. number
1: one. Number two, if they had what would she have done if they said, uh, we don't know? We're not really sure. We don't have anyone scheduled. Yeah. You Because know, here's the thing. there is. You know what I have found, and I have similar stories. You know, we'll walk into a place. But the biggest thing is I found that those people will actually help you carry expensive equipment yeah. out of the building yeah, into yeah. your personal vehicle uh-huh. without ever confirming that it was ever supposed to well, leave why to they care.
0: with. okay care. It's not their problem. Yeah. Here's some good news. Uh, So I thought this is particularly interesting, uh, going just sort of back to the uh, survey here. Uh, 66% of respondents say they're going to consider open source before other options. They're going open source by default, 66% Mm -hmm. of respondents. When they go to look for a product, they start open source first, 66%. 55%, this is lower than I expected. 55% 55% of open source uh, 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 implement, they say people that use open source, they believe, 55% of them believe that it delivers superior security when lined up against the proprietary solutions. The superior security of open source is also expected to rise to 61% over the next two to three years. Hmm. 53, or I'm sorry, 58% think open source scales better. I don't know what, how the hell do you say that, but... Uh, and uh, when evaluating security technologies for internal use, 45% of respondents said open-source solutions are given first consideration for internal security
1: use. I'm not trying to say that this is why... Uh, this is necessarily why it scales better, but I, 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 will, I would submit to you that the reason that they believe it scales better is because... Um, oh, sorry, I just turned your mic down a little bit because I bumped okay. it. That's all right. Go ahead and turn me down. Um, (laughs) The the, the reason that they probably believe that it scales better is because when you have these individual components that are tied together, then what that allows you to do is... If one, like, for instance, you start with a small database and you realize that's not cutting it for you, you can swap that yeah. out. and so and that, you're not out $10,000 mm-hmm. or whatever. So even if you don't under, even if you don't have real-world experience in having software system scale, I've heard from a number of people, they say, the nice thing about open source is it's, it's a bunch of that stuff that's kind of mixed together, so mm. I can pick and choose the yeah. parts I want. You build your own solution. You know, and it's funny you say that, Noah, because I have literally been
0: told the line, well... We spent ten thousand dollars on Microsoft SQL, so this is the solution we're going to have to make work because we're invested in it at this point. Right, and mm-hmm. it's funny because not only not only do you have this sort of technical debt that you get strapped with, and maybe you've not picked the right solution, but now that we spent this money, you know, we're going to stick with it. But that right. also means when it comes time to replace that solution you're a little less motivated because, well, we spent all this money, we're invested in Microsoft SQL, so we'll just stretch this out a little bit longer. And it it sort of has these unintended consequences of your decision-making process when you're looking at your uh, fundamental technology that powers your enterprise.
1: And the reality is you and I... Probably put an above average emphasis on <laughs> IT infrastructure because that's that's what we're passionate about. Yeah. But the reality is, most of those companies look and they say, "Listen, is Microsoft Exchange getting the getting the job done?" While well, it crashes every couple days, yeah, yeah, right. But are we getting emails? Yes. Okay. Then listen. Then we're not spending fifty thousand yeah. dollars. We're not putting that into yeah. the budget to do yeah. this. Uh, all right, you cropped you caught this story this week, and I wonder if it's got you fired up.
0: Uh, you're not a Chrome user, but uh, the headline reads as such from Ars Technica: Chrome starts pushing Java off the web. By disabling plugins, and I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know why they're singling out Java. This is—it seems to me like we're trying to make Chrome out to be the bad guy, and you know, I, I, I like okay to do that. that. I mean, I sure, but really, what's happening here is that Google, and I think you might be able to argue rightfully so, is uh, disabling the 1990s era Netscape plugin API architecture <laughs> that has literally been around since Netscape, and starting with Chrome 42, the API will be turned off. Users will be able to turn it back on if they want to, but then I'm assuming after that, that's probably going to go away. Google's planning to phase out what's it's called NP API because it says that it's being the it's it's sort of the cause of a lot of hangups, crashes, and security incidences, and adds a lot of code complexity. So they're looking at bug reports, and they're constantly seeing it as a source of crashes. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm sure some of those plugins are crap. The company suggests that the developers who are using the uh, Netscape plugin API either use web standards. Mm-hmm. That's not really a good answer for extensions, because if we could use web stands, we wouldn't need extensions. Or Google's own proprietary extension system, such as the Native Client system. And, of course, Firefox is going to have their own solution that isn't compatible with Chrome.
1: Yeah. Good times, everybody. I don't... Uh, while I understand that there are issues going from away from Java and, of course, disabling, you know, essentially, even if it is just by default, the I can't help but come to terms with the fact that, at the end of the day, Java sucks. I mean... Everything that really runs on Java is just... But, see, this isn't
0: just Java. Now, Java's probably the biggest plugin that'll be Mm -hmm. affected by this. Maybe that's why ours is calling out Java. Mm -hmm. I think putting Java in there is sort of a detention grabber because it's anything that uses the Netscape plugin API. So it could be a PDF reader. It could be Flash.
1: Sure. It's anything. Yeah. 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 And... I, I mean, I don't know. I, I just – I feel like we have gotten to a point where there are better ways to accomplish some of these tasks, and developers don't really put the – don't put the first step forward because they already have an existing code base or an existing thing, and users so, don't know necessarily to say that – I mean, the users know that things like, for example, Java – and I'm going to pick on Java, but um, – <laughs> they, they they know that when that little Java applet pops up, whatever's about to follow isn't going to work very well.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's going to be crappy.
1: So, and I mean, we just, we, we kind of went through the same rigmarole with with Flush, didn't we? And I mean, it, we, it only changes when, when the powers that be say, all right, listen, we're just going to put our foot well, down. I'm, I, so this is what I'm thinking, and I'm, I don't know
0: if this is the answer to your question. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't know much about Google's native client stuff, mm-hmm. uh, but it's a sandbox for running compiled C and C++ code in the browser. Mm-hmm. That sounds super scary to me because I I think all of us know the sandboxes leak from time to time. So if you're able to run C or C++ code in the browser... That sandbox has got to be rock solid. But let's for the sake of argument, let's just assume the sandbox is pretty rock solid. Google has a lot of uh, you know bug bounties and stuff like that. They're throwing manpower at this thing. Uh-huh. yeah, for the sake of argument. we're going to say it's pretty solid. I do not know if technically and license wise uh, if Firefox could implement Native Client, I've never really cared to look into it. But now that we're at this point, I've all of a sudden become curious. So I probably will look into it after the show, right? because I wonder if 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 this took off, if Native Client took off, if Firefox couldn't go, oh, all right, we'll just do this. Yeah, and then it sort of solves the problem. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe maybe the chat room knows that's something I'll, I'll keep an eye on. But uh, native client could come to the rescue. Okay, so uh, we got a couple more stories before we run, and uh, this one is like, uh, uh, oh, chat room says, uh, oh, Mister Q5 says says uh, it's Q- it's BSD licensed. Um. Would, would it blow your mind if Debian Linux was the first Linux distribution to ship ZFS legit, like baked in, built in? Would that blow your mind? That's kind of surprising. Yeah, well, uh, so this was a great post. Uh, my last bits uh, from uh, Lucas, the uh, former Debian project lead, is he's kind of signing off. He's saying, you know, thanks so much. Here's some of the amazing things we've accomplished during uh, my uh, helm. Uh, and I was scrolling through all the different stuff, and he, he lists out like De- DebComp 15's budgets all lined up and ready to go. So the new guy doesn't have to worry about that. Uh, delegation for the outreach team has been lined up. IT Wire interview was pretty good for the Debian project. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. and then this footnote just this note at the end of his email. We've received legal advice from the Software Freedom Law Center about the inclusion of LibDVDCSS. That's what allows you to decrypt DVDs legally. Well, or illegally if it's not licensed, I swear, or whatever. And LibDVDCSS. Boy, that caught my attention. I was like, wow, in Debian. And ZFS, which would unblock the situation in both cases and enable us to ship them in Debian soon. So according to consultation with the Software Freedom Law Center, who we've interviewed on the show before, uh, they say... That they, In their opinion, Debian is clear to ship both ZFS and libdvdcss And if Debian is, I'm sure almost any distro is. Mm-hmm. Game changer. If yep. so ZFS could legitimately show up in Debian, I think it's a game changer. If you haven't been listening to the last two weeks of Linux Unplugged, then you don't have any idea what I'm talking about. If you have been listening to the last two weeks of Unplugged, you know how much of a freaking game changer this would be. And yeah, I know you can get ZFS set up on any distribution. Everybody knows that. No, do you know that? I did know that. Everybody knows that. Everybody I've never knows done that. It. You know why I've never done it? Because it doesn't ship with your freaking distro because built
1: into the kernel maintained ship by your distribution. With my distribution built into the kernel. And because it's really not all that easy to get set up. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, it takes some time. It's a lot easier to click that ext4 button.
0: So, uh, looks familiar. So, it probably says, So if we figure, probably the next Debian stable, about 10 years. <laughs> That 10 years, he says. <laughs> wow, chat room. Some people are guessing 2015. Yikes, yikes, 2050. Yeah. I like uh, WWNSX. He's not putting too much effort into it. He just types it out Ron happening.gif. Like he doesn't even bother. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, last story on the show this week. Kind of exciting for Noah because Noah is like, Hark, Noah's our big LibreOffice fanboy. For any of you who felt like we didn't get enough LibreOffice coverage on the show, uh, Noah's here now. Yeah, <laughs> uh, LibreOffice 4.5, it's been bumped. They're going to call it LibreOffice 5.0, coming at the end of July with new gestures and GTK3 features. Not a lot of info yet, but I've linked in the show notes the, uh, the timeline here, and uh, you can see it right here. So it looks like uh, uh, five, uh, all, uh, five uh, all the way up to They already have, look at this, Noah. They've already planned out to uh, LibreOffice 5.06, April 11th, 2016. All right. So uh, I know what we'll be doing uh, that week in the news. we got it, We got it covered. We Let's can do look, it. We can plan the news docket here for a year now. It's great. <laughs> you can just go here every day. Uh, so uh, LibreOffice5.0, your quick take. Are you excited, GTK3 support? No. go. Yes. Boom. There you have it. All right, everybody. That's all the week. Wait, what? God, <laughs> what? I have not slept. That is all the news. <laughs> and you know what's crazy? As I've probably said that like
1: 360 times. Yeah, it's actually more awkward to say it wrong. I, you how does like that even happen? Yeah. That's all the news for this week.
0: Now, if we've seemed a little punchy this episode, it's because Noah and I have been working on a big project this week, switching my wife over to Linux. Now, why is that a big project? Well, two reasons. A, I felt like like shame that my wife, wasn't running Linux or at least hadn't given a recent try. She had tried in the past. We'll tell you more about that in the, in, the, in, in a little bit. But really what it truly really is is she's genuinely a fan of the Mac platform. She likes a lot of their applications. However, a lot of that is changing. She doesn't totally prefer the way, the, the direction of OS 10. iPhoto is being retired. Apple doesn't want you to sync your phone to iTunes using a USB cable. Her workflow is really being changed out underneath her, really without any say on her part. Uh, so this week, we decided to sit her down in front of a nice Linux setup and see what she thought about switching to Linux from... From the Mac, and uh, we're gonna walk through the whole process from before it happened. What she was worried about would go wrong, and what she's hoping would go right. Then she'll join us and do the switch live on the show, and you'll also get the behind-the-scenes info from No and I on how we pulled it off and the surprising challenges we ran into. It's kind of The
1: endless surprising challenges that
0: we ran into. So we'll cover all of that in this segment. But first, I want to thank our segment sponsor, System76. And I can tell you, if you do not want to spend 48 hours trying to get a Linux desktop installed, you might check out System76.com. They have machines designed to run Linux, perfect to run Ubuntu, and they'll give you Ubuntu support as well, from laptops to desktop, like this Ultra Pro, which is a great machine, to the desktop rigs. Everything from the Meerkat, which is teensy-tiny up to that big old leopard extreme, and they updated Sable. Go check it out over at system76.com. Go get yourself a computer that's built to run Linux. That way, you don't have to fight with the hardware, you get to play with Linux. And man, has that ever been more apparent this week. System76.com
1: and tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. So Chris, w- w- one of the many times that we were in the process of installing Linux on here, I had the uh, the Bonobo, and as you were aware, we, we had a, a potential backup use for the b- yep. Bonobo. Yep. So I had it sitting up on the counter, on one side of the room, and I had taken a thumb drive with uh, with with uh, with uh, yeah. uh, uh, elementary lim- OS. Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. And I stuck it in the Bonobo, booted from the USB drive, yeah. clicked install. I walked across the room to pick up the delicious, amazing munchy thing that you had bought at Costco. Yeah, yeah. Took one bite of that. Rakai looks at me and goes, "Those taste like." Apple Jacks, except he didn't know the name, so I said, let me find the name, so I googled green cereal box and got Apple Jacks and go, oh, Apple Jacks. Okay. I walk back to the other side of the room, yeah. elementary's done. Yeah. Installed, all the drivers yeah. work, all the sound works, the yeah. display works. Meanwhile, we are 14 hours into trying to just yeah.
0: get a bootable system. Yeah, at that point, yeah. And mm-hmm. now here we are after that, and we didn't even go with elementary. OS. We're going to go through all of that. In fact, that's probably a good place to start, so uh, Noah and I sat down to with Angela's old MacBook, and a MacBook that we're going to move her to, because it was one that was recently repaired for free by Apple, that all of a sudden, well, we have a macbook this could be the perfect transition machine and i think that's probably where this takes off right mm-hmm. it's right there all right let's pick it up and that's a go and there we go so sitting in front of us is two macbooks and don't worry i'm making sure noah doesn't have the shakes he seems to be hand- handling it okay i'm doing all right i guess it's the high protein load while you've been here yes that's yes. good so we did something kind of maybe risky we loaded on angela's macbook antergross linux really arch linux and that seemed crazy, not our intention originally. We were gonna go with elementary OS, or Fedora, or open, no, no, never open SUSE. Uh, but we actually, uh, Antergross worked out really well for a couple of reasons. Out of the box, it's one of the f- easiest we found to install on the MacBook, so that was good.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it has UEFI support, that was good. Um, uh, Freya, well, the situation with Freya doesn't have that yet. They, I guess they have um, a guide that we found, but it essentially involves setting up refit and all that
1: right and the the other issue was the guide for refit remember was designed to be run from Mac OS or right. was so, from that perspective
0: refit refit or refined yeah it's refined it is uh the it's bootloader a, software yeah it's actually pretty cool stuff and it's not just for Macs but it's a popular way on the Mac to multi boot Mac OS ten and Linux and maybe even free bSD yeah, I know somebody that does that you know him too on a and, Mac yeah, I think so at least that's what really? he says that's what he says, man right. I think it's pc bsd uh so uh the thing is, to do that, you got to have macOS on the machine. We don't want any macOS. We just want Linux. We don't need any of that silly Mac partition stuff, because they have a crazy partition right. schemes. Hardcore, straight-up Linux. And then when it really clicked for us is, well, Noah, you know, Noah, after we're done with this experiment, after Linux Fest, he flies out. And it clicked, and we said, well, how are we going to support it? Mm-hmm. It's like, know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to be supporting it, right? I'm going to be the one supporting it, and I'm going to be updating all of my rigs that run uh, Arch, before she ever updates hers, because I'll do the updates for her, and I'll sort of be doing the beta testing ahead of time. I have essentially the same setup. We're gonna give her Gnome 3.16 uh, with the loadout here. You might get to see that later. Uh, sort of uh, in a way that's sort of designed to hopefully she'll sort of find it familiar. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'll do the updates first, and if something breaks, I'll, I won't do her machine. And I think we'll also probably do like images from time to time and things like that to help sort of offset that. But it seems to me when you're doing Linux on a MacBook, one of the things you need the most is a current kernel. Or the better, the, the newer the kernel, the better luck you're going to have. So on this MacBook right now, we've got ATI-accelerated graphics, we've got full iSight webcam support, we've got wireless video support, we've got backlit keyboard controls, we've got all hardware controls, we've got sound working, we've got full gigabit ethernet, uh, the display port works last time I checked it, the SD card slot last works last time I checked it. And and it's, it's just all really been pretty minimal. So now we're able to focus on moving over her data and configuring her applications and tweaking the environment, and we're spending less time on trying to get the distro working. And we did come up with the, a few different options for Freya. Like, we thought maybe we could use the existing Grub installation from Arch to boot Freya.
1: There is some modifications, where there is the refine solution, but we even talked there, for, a, for a minute, we even talked mm. about installing Ubuntu. Yeah. And then trying to mod- turn it yeah. into a Freya. Because
0: itself. 14.04, which Freya is based on, actually boots just fine on the Macs.
1: Right. It's really strange working on a MacBook. It's really weird sitting in front of a MacBook. But um, so far, we have all of her pictures moved over. We're going to get those imported into the photo software. And now what we're in the process of doing is moving her uh, music folder over between her music and her photos. So those are the two big uh, folders of data that she has. And then what we're talking about doing is using OwnCloud to keep uh, this computer in sync with all of her other machines. So that way uh, any changes she makes uh, to a document will then there'll be persistence across all of those machines. And that'll hopefully kind of grease that transition uh, into Linux that doesn't, she doesn't feel so much like she's getting the rug pulled out from under her. Um, so we've got about another 20 minutes left on the file transfer for the music and then we'll get that imported into Rhythmbox.
0: And uh, you know, we kind of distilled it down for you. But one of the big snags we hit is we originally thought Freya would be the best distro for Angela because it was close to the OS ten uh, OS ten use paradigm. Uh, and it turns out because we were being very stubborn on our goal of no OS ten on the Mac, we wanted a pure Linux experience. That's a little more challenging than you'd expect if you need to use certain types of. Uh, um, uh, bootloader tricks to get like your graphics working and things like that, which is exactly what we ran into on the MacBook, right. is we need to be able to pass certain flags to the boot environment so that way we could get well, the ATI graphics.
1: So there were there were a couple things, right? Because we couldn't get elementary OS to boot because we couldn't uh, they, they didn't have UEFI support They didn't have UEFI support. support specifically for the Mac right. because it's a different UEFI implementation It's so, proprietary. Yeah. And then add to that that even once we got Antergos on there and see how we set it right uh, it doesn't have it didn't wasn't able to like you said wasn't able to talk to the graphics card yeah. so we we lost the ability to spend we lost the ability to do desktop presenting. and as it turns out that's 3D Angela could probably
0: use her computer day to day without 3D accelerated graphics, but for us to be able to show you her desktop in this show, we have to have 3D accelerated graphics to get the video out to the capture machine. Mm-hmm. So this added a whole layer of complexity in order to be able to demonstrate it to you that we maybe would not normally run into when doing this migration.
1: But the, there wasn't the big issue because you said that she has to have an external monitor.
0: Yes, right. So if
1: that that's not there, yeah. then it's then it's right. a bust. And you know, the, here's the thing: the chat room is 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 just is just bent on this idea that while I've installed it. Every MacBook is different. Before I came out here, I, I I, I, swallowed my pride, and I borrowed a MacBook and installed Ubuntu. I, I installed a couple different distros. Granted, I right. don't think
0: Arch so one of them. So here's the thing. And it worked on those. But those and this makes a big difference we're probably using the nvidia graphics driver yeah. and it's not yeah, just to... it's not just herpder ati versus nvidia or amd versus nvidia graphics it's fundamentally easier to get the graphics driver working on the macbook pro under linux and how the video is initialized by the kernel and all of that like it's just easier if you have an nvidia rig if you do not need ATI accelerated graphics and you just want to use the internal g- Intel graphics, you can actually get pretty far pretty easily with uh, Antigross on a MacBook. You just have to do a few tweaks to get the Wi-Fi working, and you have to pass a couple of things in GRUB to get the video to get X11 to work. Mm-hmm. Now, to Rikai's credit, our editor uh, yeah. Rikai, uh, he stayed up literally all night long. Well, we all did, but I mean, Rikai's really, really focused on this. While we took a few breaks and ma- and tried different things, we had yeah. OS10 and Freya. We had just Freya. We had we tried, but we had Video issues, um, and now we have just Antigros in Linux on here. Right, and I think fundamentally, uh, I, here we could. You think we should show her? No, we'll wait. We'll wait for Angela to get here before we show the desktop because she's about to step in. Uh, but I think fundamentally, we came up with something that she's going to be pretty happy with. Yeah, and so that uh, so that leads us to what is she worried about? Because I think we've got some of our software picks solved. We wanted to go with UIs that are very straightforward, very um, sort of maybe Mac reminiscent, so she's not overwhelmed with options. So what though? Those are things we are considering. Uh, What is she worried about? What is she considering? So we did a series of questions before she even gets to see this to sort of get us her state of mind, because we were hoping that maybe getting insights on where she's at might help you if you're going to help someone you're familiar with switching. So uh, we'll start with this introduction.
3: So my husband has an obsession with spending money (laughs) and brought home the dome-shaped iMac. Like, I think it's the first iMac that ever was released, like, The whole computer was all in just one little thing. And uh, he made me an account. And of course, you know, we had a two bedroom apartment and one was our bedroom and one was his office. And I had a little tiny desk with, I can't even remember. I think actually I did have a Linux box at that time. But he set me up a login on his Mac. And that was in hmm, 2002.
0: All right. So there's two, so that's how she kind of gets started. She had a Linux box at the time, but that was sort of her first introduction to Mac. And uh, so Noah rightfully asked you, so when you sit down on your computer, what's your primary use cases for your Linux box? Critical
1: question. Critical right. Well, you question. want to know. You want to understand how those things are going to play. And the other thing I was trying to, to get a good handle on was um, how can we tailor this experience? And, and in fact, I actually stopped the interview left the room and said, hey, Chris, I know you're working on, on this particular aspect. She brought this particular point up. Let's make sure this doesn't happen. Right, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah that, was, that was very good. And it's funny, too, because looking back at it now, when I bought that iMac and just created an account, I didn't. you know why I even did it? It's because she wanted to play um, Medal of Honor, Allied Assault. This is
1: all your <laughs> fault. Was, all your all
0: right. fault. So here's now what she uses her computer for, and we'll see if we can accomplish these tasks with uh, Linux.
3: I use my computer to import photos and do social media things and listen to music. I always listen to music. And basically, like documents, spreadsheets, and such.
0: So that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. I think we can I think we accomplish this. Now, she kind of just puts a little, like, uh, I use it for photos. I mean, it's like her world is photos, right? Yeah, Photo management, yeah, organizing yeah. her photos. She's got lots of photos of the kids, all of that. It's That's a big, huge part of her workflow. So that's a major part. We're going to focus on it. And not even one I'm totally sure we have solved. And it's also her major workflow concern as well.
3: Okay. So my concerns about not having my Mac available and just having a Linux machine in front of me is... The compatibility, uh, easy transferability of pictures from my iPhone in, into the computer, but also my SD cards, you know, it, pretty much any pictures that I take. And also having to possibly ref, uh, you know save documents as a new file format, potentially corrupting them, I'm worried about loss. Yeah. I'm also kind of worried, like, I know just b- briefly that a lot of Android users, uh, phone users, end up uh, like, the only option they have for getting phones from their, f- or I'm sorry, pictures from their phones to the computer is to use something um, on the cloud. And I don't like all my pictures going to the cloud, because uh, for several reasons, privacy is a big one. But also because... Um, I don't like to keep every picture I take. I weed them out, but sometimes I don't weed them out until I'm at my computer.
0: I think that's a pretty common workflow. I think that's pretty fair. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people probably uh, just sort of take a lot of photos and then pick their best ones back at their computer. Right Now, she's not all concerned, and I'm really really glad you asked her. You said, so what are you looking forward to? And this is what her answer was.
3: I am looking forward to seeing if there is a good alternative uh, photo program in Linux, I'm I'm also excited at the idea of another music program. Those are, you know, my hobbies and my life. <laughs> so it, it will be interesting to see if there are better programs out there for that.
0: And uh, this is where an area I am a little nervous about. So for her really? photos, we picked Shotwell. Uh, And I'm a little concerned that maybe we should have gone Digicam, but when I compared the UI side-by-side, I really felt like, for Angela, what I wanted to do is, if Shotwell Shotwell, I think, won't overwhelm her when she sees it, and if she can say to me, it's not enough... Then I yeah. can say, here's Digicam. Yeah, right? but See, it's that's easier to do that. Ahead. Yeah. that's thinking yeah. ahead. Yeah. So that's why I went. Shot, that's why I went. Shotwell for photo management. Mm-hmm. And then you, you know, I mean, you know all of this. We, 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 debated for hours which music program she should use. We right. considered everything from Amarok to XMMS. No, not really. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> was, but we actually decided to go with Rhythmbox mostly uh, because we're going with a GTK environment. And it, and and when we started to whittle it down, it really came down to Banshee or Rhythmbox. And Banshee hasn't had an update in about a year, and Rhythmbox had an update at the end of March. So we decided that, with that in mind, Rhythmbox plus Rhythmbox and Banshee both seem to have decent iPod sync support. So there's yeah. some play some playing around we can do there. Yeah, and they both have podcast support. So I, we went Rhythmbox for her music collection. Both Shotwell and Rhythmbox at this point seem to be handling the load pretty well. We got her permission to do something different with her photos. Instead of bringing on all 500 gigs of her photos, we only brought on the last three years of her photos and offline the rest, which she was okay with. Yeah. And so that, I think, made Shotwell a lot more manageable.
1: Shotwell crashed a few times on the import, but nothing that wasn't manageable. And, and, and in Shotwell's defense, maybe once it's set up, adding a couple photos at a time isn't going to be a yeah, big deal when you try and just throw right. you know, half a terabyte of yeah. you know space at
0: it. Now, unquestionably, she's going to be on an Archbox. Uh, she's switching to a new operating system, uh, new usage paradigms, new ways to, to do everything. Tech support is going to be a critical part of making this successful. Tech support is going to be fast support, fast response, and getting this stuff solved is going to be really important. And so uh, we had to ask her, you know, what are your expectations around tech
3: support? I'm going to call speed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh... like, yeah. um well you know i I have Chris available, and I have rakai <laughs> <laughs> well you're not doing anything. Uh, and uh the i r c full of users that I'm sure will help me, but uh, I did try using mint a couple years ago, and it it was really hard i th- I think I might be the type of user that needs everything set up for me and handed to me, which I I believe is going to happen, as opposed to a clean setup and okay, go find a photo program and go find a music program and I just I can't do that part of it. I I'm more advanced than a typical user, but I'm not advanced enough to learn that to want to learn I right. think that discovery. Te- technology side of it. The replacement discovery stuff. Mm-hmm. That
0: makes a lot of sense. Like what what do I know to what do I know is the good app to do my photos. Right. Yeah, that's got to be challenging for anybody to switch into a new platform. Uh, and she has kind of made hints. There were some problems last time she ran Linux. Right. And I don't know if we can necessarily blame Linux, but uh, there were some things that, that did go wrong. Well,
1: let's be clear. I mean, the last time she tried Linux was... I, I, well, yeah, the last time she's, when she's speaking about it, she's talking about almost like 10 years 2002, ago. Right? 2002, yeah.
0: 2000, the so, KDE 2.0 era. So
1: really, I would go as far as to say that we're talking almost about two separate operating systems yeah, at this really. point. Yeah, really. But it was a major concern of hers.
3: And a couple things went wrong. I used Picasa, and... For my photos. And when I moved, I typically, when I go to upload photos on social media, I moved, I grab the picture and I drag it to my desktop so that I can easily find it and not have to browse the file, the file directories. And <clears throat> what Picasso did is it actually, it literally moved the file. And I lost a lot of pictures that way because I didn't know for a couple of weeks that it was removing it from the photo library. So that's going to be one of my biggest things to test first is... When I when I drag a photo to the desktop to upload for social media, is it copying it or moving it?
0: And now, in her defense, Picasso, uh, like Shotwell and F-Spot, these applications didn't exist back then.
1: Right. So yeah, exactly, really, yeah. exactly. You you were you were somewhat limited, but I, I you know, and I, I, this part still confuses me, hmm. Chris, because hmm. when I asked you, you said you, when you drag on a Mac, you said it moves the file.
0: Oh no! So, so no, it's like if you if you. If uh, generally, you know, if you move, if you if you uh, move a file on the same partition, it, it moves the file, and if you take a file and you copy to another drive or another partition, it copies the file. Uh-huh. Uh, but the way Picasso works is, when so Picasso, what it really was, was just more like a client front-end to your folder structure. Uh-huh. And so if you moved a file within Picasso, you were moving it within your folder structure. Oh, okay. So she just moved it to her desktop, and so Picasso moved the file. It moved yeah. files yeah. instead of copying, which is what she was thinking the default okay. action would be. Okay. And it burned her because she thought, oh, these are safe to throw away. These are all copies. Yeah. And then she trashes them,
3: and then yeah. they were actually being
0: removed from her library. I mean, you know, that's that's a special kind of burn. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we so to recap, we're going gnome 3.16. Firefox is her browser. Telegram is her messenger. Uh, Rhythmbox is her music player. Uh, Shotwell is her photo management application. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to now we're going to now introduce it to her and see what she thinks. And my hope is my general approach to Angela is going to be you're not an expert but you're also not a total noob. So this is an operating system that's for a little bit more of an advanced user, but we've gone through and we've custom-tailored and picked the applications for you. And think of this now as, this is your new Jupyter Broadcasting work environment. This is the Jupyter Broadcasting work machine, and uh, we are replacing applications that your your original vendor has decided to sunset. Primarily iPhoto, and I also am willing to bet quite a bit, that they're going to also sunset I, uh, USB syncing eventually from yeah, the iPhone. Right. Those are, those are pr- her primary workflow mechanisms on the Mac. You take those away, it's a great opportunity to move. So I say, if you say, all right, let's move you up to an operating system that's a little more advanced, they're not going to swap out the way it works on you, they're not going to remove applications from you, and it's a great work environment for the rest of your coworkers too.
1: Yeah. That's my general pitch to her. Mm-hmm. Should we see how it goes? Let's see how it goes. Let's bring her in. We have Angela in studio with us, and we're about to do the reveal. We're going to give her her MacBook, uh, but we're going to give it with with a tweak. It has Linux on it. So uh, thanks a lot, Angela, for being willing to to do this with us, mm-hmm. um, and 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 being willing to take on this challenge. Now we've tried to take all of your concerns, we carefully looked at them and tried to find the best Linux equivalents to what you're used to on the Mac. So this is your desktop. So tell me uh, you know as you're as you're sitting down and looking at it, tell me what you think of it if if you would if you had pulled this out of a box uh, from an Apple store, mm-hmm. what would you be thinking? Would you be thinking that this this looks like a like a like an inviting machine?
3: yeah the, well it uh, on first glance it has a dock, which is very <laughs> okay. comforting uh-huh because it's that's like what my MacBook has. And when you, and
1: if, you if you didn't see an application on the, on the screen here and, and you wanted to get to it, where, where would you go to look?
3: Uh, the upper left-hand corner where okay. it says application. So, so this, this seems... I mean, like without even knowing that it says applications there, like that is, I would go to the upper left-hand corner.
1: Okay. So this all seems fairly intuitive, right? So tell me, uh, if you were sitting down for your computer, you're, you're, you're at home, what's the first thing you're going to do?
3: I launch Firefox.
1: You launch Firefox. Okay. So Firefox is is probably uh, uh, pretty obvious. Maybe you can give that a go. Um And so we have uh we have Firefox sync set up. So all of your bookmarks if they're not there yet, all your bookmarks and and uh, and your favorite stuff like that, that's all going to come down. Um I know you do a lot of photo editing, right? Mm-hmm. So you'll notice we put a photo application on there for you. Uh do you want to take a look and see if we can fire that up?
3: Um Shot well,
1: what do you think? Well, does that seem
3: probably it looks like an aperture, okay thing, but um, okay,
1: we'll launch it and see what happens, huh?
3: yeah, I just don't know about, yeah, I don't know about everybody's seen I it, it. There's just your I know, but oh, great, yeah, no, okay. <laughs> Here's your phone. <laughs> There's my photos. How about uh
1: how about the music application? Does that does that seem like that uh that resembles something that, that you're comfortable with or familiar with?
3: Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, it looks a lot like iTunes actually. Really? Yeah.
1: So and there was there were two applications. There were one that we thought maybe looked a little bit more like iTunes and one that we mm-hmm. thought would give you a little bit better stability. And we went with the one that gave you a little bit more stability. Okay. So I'm really happy to hear that your first impression when you open it up, you say, Hey, that kinda looks like iTunes.
3: Yeah. <laughs> Everything is recently added. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. It actually it actually appears a lot simpler, but under mm-hmm. Hmm. Let me get down to F. To so my Florence in the machine. See if I can create an album pretty easily.
0: Whoa. And you can use the search.
3: Oh, yeah, that's true. I think I will. Huh? Did it get my? Did you get my entire library?
1: Well, we tried. Um, <laughs> we, we certainly. There, there. You know, there's going to be a couple little bumps along the road, but that's the advantage of switching somebody like you over a true uh, new user. Is is I think there'll be some some amount of understanding there. Is is well, you know, this was at at the last minute. we were still kind of putting the final sure. pieces wow. and your music actually finished copying literally as we were on the air. Like Chris is coming out, so we can. You know, those are the the. Um, the in between touches that that we can go and this you can think of this like an as a as an opening set of ideas and then we can grow from this and say all right well this is what's not working and we can tweak it and that's the I think what what you're gonna find is gonna be the advantage of Linux over what you're used to with the Mac is because now when you have an issue Angela is mm-hmm. it's not going to be well uh, sorry that's the way Apple did it um, we can swap out individual components right right and so uh, when Chris gets home and you can say hey guess what. This uh, this music application, it's not doing it for me. And then we've got a whole nother list Aha. of other ones we can use. I found it. You did.
3: Yes. All right. Go to my screen. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to make a new playlist, and hopefully it'll do it from. Nope, it didn't do it from the selection. So what
1: didn't work the way you expect? Oh, okay, from the selection. So,
3: so I will try the new automatic. Oh, okay. Well, that is another way to do it. I did try right-clicking the yeah, the, the selected, selected text, area s- but that did not work. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Um, yeah. Try just right-click like that, and I tried Control.
1: When you say right-click, are you using two fingers? No. May I sneak in here real quick? I just want to see.
3: Oh, yeah. Because I, should, I wasn't. Be yeah, that. because
1: I, I'm thinking it's a, it's a function of the right yep. functionality and that there might be some some differences, right? Because the way that Mac OS interacts cool. with that hardware and the way that Linux interacts might be a little different. Now, I've got another sure. question for you right okay. along that that note. When you go to copy text, if you were to open up a Word document
3: mm-hmm.
1: and you were going to copy text to the clipboard, mm-hmm. how would you go about doing that?
3: I would just c- uh, control C, command C. Which one? Well, I I don't know. I'd have to you try b- I'd have so to find out. Yeah, because like whenever I'm on a, a Windows machine, it's, it's different. It's okay, the so you make that
1: transition, and that's not going to be an issue. No. Okay, and that's again, this is this is again, this is the functionality of Linux. Because mm-hmm. if you told me, hey, you know what, Noah, that's just not going to work, mm-hmm. I would tell you that's no problem. Actually, there's a little button, and we drop it down from a regular keyboard to a Mac keyboard, and then it's uh. going to follow your your Mac uh, command structure, mm-hmm. which is kind of neat. Okay. Now, Chris, actually. And This shows you exactly how last minute some of this was is actually while you were on your way over Chris got you an IRC client oh, And he sweet. got it all set up and you and I have actually been talking nope, in that's the IRC terminal.
3: Terminal looks like an IRC.
1: Yeah
3: Pigeon, okay.
1: I'm not entirely sure that uh, it got added it's to the doc either? to be honest with you oh. Okay um,
3: Then. Is it Polari it is okay So Andrew's last <laughs>
1: So this is uh is is a very hmm. basic IRC client, right? Yeah, it but is. what it's gonna allow you to do is is get up and running, and if you need that support that you were talking about, you and I spoke, and you said that um, one of the ways that you were planning on seeking support is through the IRC, which is a fantastic way to get that community support. But if you don't have an IRC client configured ready to go, it's no use to you, right? Mm-hmm. So this is going to allow you to get up and running. Obviously, there are more advanced uh, clients. Of course, I'm sure you're familiar. Chris is is you know really big into Quassel, and so yeah. once we get uh, some of the changes made on this Quassel core, you can actually have an account on Quassel. You'll maintain that persistent connection. Then once uh, next week when we switch you off your iPhone, then you'll actually. Oh.
3: <laughs> nice, nice. And you'll be able to install nice. that Quasar yeah. client right uh-huh, on the phone. Uh-huh, yeah, you snuck that to, in there uh, really nicely there. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah and, your, and your Android uh, uh, tablet, too. You could, you would be able to install it on there. So they, have, they have clients for all those.
3: I found myself wanting to do command tab.
1: Okay. So that might be something that we want to switch then. And it's because. really not all that difficult to do. Um, I don't know if it's something I want to necessarily attempt on air because, yeah, from across the... From right. across the from across the keyboard, right. but it is it is a it is a trivial change to make. So mm-hmm. I guess uh, is there anything that you're looking and you're like you know what this uh, this is and, and really it's going to be a a a situation where as you start to get into your workflow mm-hmm. then you'll start to notice those yes. things. But as you're looking at it, do you see anything that's missing?
3: Um, I think just maybe I was um, hmm. Probably just a word processor, spreadsheet. Okay. You know.
1: Okay. Um, and have you worked with LibreOffice before?
3: Um, yeah.
1: Okay. So that holds like a very special place in my heart. So it's, it, uh, I, th- I think you'll find that the experience is far and away better than Microsoft Office. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
3: Well, that, that. That very well could be the case. Yeah. I'm just still really afraid of losing formatting yeah. or having glitching. I
1: think if you if you have PowerPoints, I've seen that be an issue. But the reality is, I think especially when it comes to Word documents and spreadsheets, mm-hmm. I, I, I haven't seen that. I've it really it does a very nice job of preserving the format. In fact, so much so that I've actually gotten to a point where a lot of times with clients, I'll actually configure LibreOffice to save by default mm-hmm. in the .dot doc or .dot .ppt uh, standard. And the reason for that is because it makes it a lot easier for them to email those files. Yeah. Or collaborate with other people without having to worry about converting and stuff. And, of course, the real answer to that, the answer I'd like to see is if everyone would start using LibreOffice, then that wouldn't necessarily be an issue. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, so I guess if you're happy, the, the the reality is, like I said, it'll have to be a growing process. It's one of those things that you'll have to kind of keep an keep an eye on and find identify mm-hmm. the things that don't work and let us know, and then we can go back and, and kind of correct those issues. But the like I said, the advantage of Linux is we are able to fix those issues. So what we'll do is we will continue to keep you updated uh, on how the progress goes. Of course, I'm sure you're going to be bringing this Linux box to Linux Fest Northwest. Yes, it'll be the first time you won't have to be ashamed <laughs> to bring a Mac in, to be a Mac user at a Linux convention.
3: Uh huh. Yeah. Right? That'll
1: be wonderful.
3: I'll just uh I guess I won't pack my Mac shirts.
1: I think that's terrific. <laughs> So we'll keep you updated, and as as she, uh, you know, and maybe even as Angela comes across issues, Chris and I don't know everything. So when when some of those issues come up, if it's an oddball issue, uh, you know, you could post on the Reddit or we can post on the Reddit, sure. and uh, hopefully this will be the la- yesterday will be the last time that you used a Mac. You'll be switched over to Linux, and this will this will grow. And then the next step, Angela, what I'd really like to see what would really make me proud, is if next year I come here and you switch from the Mac mm-hmm. to a System seventy six. Oh yeah, get off the Mac. Change hardware. the hardware. Yeah, because sure. because let me tell you, I don't I don't. And Chris has his work cut out for him. If you ever break this thing, <laughs> 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 the shows will be canceled for the next like week. Okay. So that brings us uh, to the end of of this segment, and I guess now all that's left is the feedback.
0: Now that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. And a couple of things before we get out of here. we got some emails and a bit of follow-up. Uh, I suspect uh, from the last segment, Angela's uh, problems with uh, her music not showing up, the Florence and the Machine specifically, is I'm pretty sure she bought those on iTunes. So that means, you no know, uh copy protected. So we have a batch of music we're going to have to set aside and convert for her. Uh, so we had done that at one point, but we, we, we reloaded that MacBook. Um, I don't know probably last time at 3 a.m. So so we just finished copying the files back over. But I think that's one of the gotchas, right, is that iTunes copy-protected music, a lot of people in Angela's family uh, bought a lot of music on iTunes as well. They don't have copy protection anymore, but if you bought it within a certain time, it's going to be on there. So that was a challenge we went into. Uh, uh, But you know what? I think long term, if she likes the operating system and if she likes the applications, then we'll move her to a system that's probably better suited for Linux down the road And uh, once we get her buy-off. All right. So we got some feedback uh, to get to. Obermeiser writes in. He says, uh, personally, I'm feeling the show is more about what the hosts love and use. If I was a host, it should be irrelevant what I use or had trouble or even dislike. Since it's about Linux and the Linux world and the benefits of other users, then it becomes what to report on and what to the masses and what they are using. And KDE, is that a significant majority? Or at least a large part, uh, do a large part of them use KDE? But we don't ever hear much about that. Don't get me wrong. It's great that GNOME is making major progress and becoming exciting for GNOME users. But when do we, the XFCE or Cinnamon folks or maybe KDE users, get to hear exciting things about their desktop environments? And how can the new to Linux users make an informed decision of their best desktop window, ma- window management for their needs? If all we ever hear about is Gnome and Matei all the time, so I wanted to talk about something uh, that is sort of uh, maybe a concern is the hosts only talk about this is where do you say second sentence uh, the hosts uh, will only talk about things that they use and love. That's partially true, right? We're not going to come on this show and tell you about things that suck. That'd be a pretty bad show. Um, besides, we'd be spending the whole time you know, talking about some really weird open source project, and then you're tearing down somebody who spends their free time developing open source. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem like a very way to, good way to go. And I think, honestly, uh, the best sales pitch to new Linux users is to show them existing Linux users that are crazy passionate about really exciting technology and sort of convey yep. that enthusiasm and passion through them by it being genuine. Mm-hmm. That's sort of the action in the Linux action show. That's always been where that word action came from, was specifically, we're showing you in action why we love Linux. Uh, So we do tend to uh, drift towards the things that we use personally and think are better. Also, some of that is those projects' newsworthiness. To be quite frank with you, until semi-recently, XFCE was just not very newsworthy. Straight up. So guess what? It doesn't make it in the news. I can't make something newsworthy if it's not newsworthy. So there is some of that as well. But the best way to contribute, if you're really concerned, is linuxactionshow.reddit.com. You can submit stories there all week and vote them up and down and get your comments. We're constantly checking that, taking the temperature of what the community finds interesting. And I find those comments to be pretty useful insights as well. So you do have a say. And uh, you're already taking action by
1: being involved in that subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. But yeah, you're right. We do talk about the things we love. Yeah, and it's one of those things where I feel like if I am a person that is passionate about a given project, those are the projects that – those, those are the kind of projects that I implement in my own life. And so they're the ones that I'm best suited to be able to talk about, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it kind of goes – kind of echoing what you said, if we talked about projects that we weren't enthusiastic about, what ends up happening is you concentrate on why you don't like those projects because if I did like those projects, then I would be using them. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, th- I. Yeah. I. I agree. I. Th- I think that. Uh, I think. And I think that bias should be to some degree appreciated. And anyone that tells you that they can give you an unbiased opinion of a wide spectrum of things and not incorporate their own bias, they're lying to you. Uh, personal opinion. All right. Kurt L writes in uh, with our next email. You want to take yep. that one? Uh, Kurt L writes in. and He says, background. I've used Max as my primary computer since 1987. System six. System 7, System 8, wow. System 9, wow. Jaguar, panth- uh, Panther, Tiger, Leopard, Snow Leopard. Notice how it stops there. Snow Leopard for me was the high water mark. It's been erratic since then, and the UI that changes that came with Line caused me to realize that the writing was on the wall for my continued use of OS X. It's just stupid stuff. But taking away the scroll arrows, the, uh, the change to narrow iOS-style scroll bars that aren't even visible by default, the removal of iOZone in Finder window that opens the sidebar. All these things that scream we care but more about how it looks than how it works. Every release of OS X since then has been endlessly analyzed for its translucency and the width of its fonts. Whatever the colors are, bright. Ridiculous. Apple Mall. Apple Mail has been on, an ongoing disaster for several iterations now. iTunes gets a rehash only to reemerge with an even greater focus on the guess how this interface works. The focus to March to put all your data on the iCloud, no, I'm sorry, I'm not going there. The data goes on my disk and nowhere else. Meanwhile, important underlining security technologies like ASLR languish. only finally... Yeah. Only finally are making it into the kernel in Lion. I've been listening to your Linux podcast for over a year as part of my preparation to make the jump. I've set up several Linux machines on spare computers around the homestead, and I play around getting comfortable. If my main machine, if my main uses were simply document prep- preparation, browsing, and email, it would be a simpler matter to switch over, mm-hmm. and I would have done it months ago. I do have a couple critical audio editing, and CD-burning applications that I have not found smooth workflows for in Linux, so I'm still in preparation mode. There are a few things that I really like about the old OSX Spotlight for instant file searches, app launching, file preview in the Finder. I would be grateful for suggestions for distros and utilities that would allow me to replicate those functionalities. I could care less about animations and polish. Mostly, I've played around with Lubuntu, Mint, and Exabuntu. Hmm. I have not tried Mate yet, so perhaps Mate. Excuse me. So perhaps that is where I should go next. Thanks for the informative and entertaining po- set of podcasts. I made a contribution this month in appreciation. Oh, thanks, Kurt. So first of all, yeah, obviously, thank you so much for your appreciation. It's people like you that contribute that that get this show on the air for you. Um, but I also want to commend you for, you know, understanding that you know this is you you you've identified a problem in macOS mm. and you have correctly identified the solution of if you want more customizability, if you want to play a little bit more, if you want to tinker, that's where you're going to move off of OS X and move on to Linux. And we have talked about that in the past, uh, Chris, that this idea that Mac may provide an all-inclusive experience for its users, but where it lacks, where it falls short, where it falls down, is its ability to customize Mm -hmm. and to play with. And and those users, especially the tech-savvy ones, people like you, people like him, who have very specific preferences.
0: And even people like Angela, who's running up against you know. They're for to sort of chase, forcing a change in the workflow. Sort of mm-hmm. this pressure, this sort of uh, this this sort of tax you get for the market strategy of the company that's driving that platform. Right, right. And that's a pressure that I think
1: people get uncomfortable with. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I think that's great. Now I don't have any specific recommendations. You know, and part of my part of my issue is I have spent so little time. I mean, just, just just minuscule amount of time on the Mac that I have no way of uh, of identifying uh, potential replacements for. And that's something that you're probably better suited to or really, Angela, if if we if we have in fact converted her and she goes whole hog, mm-hmm. she'll be an excellent resource in the future mm-hmm. for future Mac switchers. Mm-hmm. And to be able to say, this is what I missed about my Mac, this is what I liked about the Mac, mm-hmm. and this is what I found on Linux that that, that yeah. fit that that scratch that'll that be itch. that'll be a really interesting resource. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so thank you, Kurt, uh, for sending that in, and uh, you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com, click the contact link, and send that into the show. Just choose Linux Action Show from the drop-down, or start a thread in the subreddit, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. Now, don't forget, next weekend is LinuxFest Northwest, and we'd love to have you join us. Jupiter Broadcasting will be streaming that live, so go to
1: jblive.tv. Noah, is there anywhere you want to send folks throughout the week? I want to send folks to jblive.tv. To follow Linux Fest Northwest, right. that is the most important thing that is happening. That is this our, week. That is it our. It deserves world. two votes. Yeah.
0: For that, also check out Tech Talk today. Uh, throughout the week, we're going to try to get some of the folks to stop in and guest host on the show as they fly in for Linux Fest Northwest. So that could be a fun uh, way to uh, get extra uh, an extra time with a host that you might like if they're on the show. Tech Talk today is live 9 a.m. noon Pacific, or yeah, 9 a.m. Pacific noon Eastern over at jblive.tv.
1: I'm ready for a nap. Yeah, it's been a long day. Actually, yeah. been a long past couple of days yeah, yeah. getting this mat going. Yeah, but
0: I think we got there, and now we sit back and see how it goes, and we'll let you guys. It'll all it. be worth it in yeah. the end. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. We'll see you right back here next week.
1: Back it up. Yeah.
0: So, uh, so let's. Okay, so we're starting
1: Thursday. Thursday. I okay, wake Thursday. up six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. And I get done with uh, all of my work around 10, 11, whatever it is, and I realize that my flight is at 5, meaning I have to be at the airport by 4, meaning I need to be leaving for the airport no later than 3:30, meaning I have to be up and ready to shower by 2:30. So, why go to bed for you know, a little over two hours? Just didn't see I can just get some stuff done. So that's what I did. So I stay up all night, get on the plane, fly all the way here. I landed because I uh, we then I reset, so I actually lose two hours in the time change. Yep. So I land at 8 30 or what nine or whatever. Yeah. And we get here. We hit the ground running yeah. with this laptop thing. Yeah, that's for sure. And then la- what was what was I doing last night? Oh, we're we're ripping out the network infrastructure. So we we ripped the whole studio network infrastructure apart and put all that back together. Natch. Yeah. And then that was that brought me to like four AM, three a.m., four a.m. whatever it was. And then got back up at eleven thirty noon yesterday. Somewhere around there. No, I was eleven. Sorry. About eleven. Yeah, about somewhere 11. in there. Yeah, about eleven. And then Again, came back, started working on the, the whole conversion process, and then uh, we were up all night doing that. and uh, Redoing all of that. Redoing, well, yeah. We'll talk about yeah, that in the show. Yeah. Anyway, whoa, <sighs> little, little to no sleep. Yeah, yeah. And Rekai as well. <laughs> yeah, Rekai. Man, he just saved the day. Mm-hmm. You know, really, when it comes down to it, neither of us switched Angela to Linux really Rakai switched Angela <laughs> to the Like honestly, we're gonna show up here, yeah. you know, ride in yeah. like a couple of cowboys and be like, guess yeah. what we did this week? You know, cause well, you know, really what, we didn't do You know what honestly, if it was just you or I
0: <laughs> we, we would have up last night. <laughs> yeah, and we would have just we would have like just delayed the show and went over to Best Buy this yeah. morning and bought yeah, like that's uh, right.
1: Well, we got we got as far as looking on the website <laughs> yeah. just to price out different machines. Yeah. But, but look uh, at that. Now look at that. Yeah. Look at that. That's a robot. Yeah. Is that giving you the Hello? heebie-jeebies at all? No. Hello? Is that, anyone in here? That
0: doesn't give you the heebie-jeebies no, at all? not at
1: all, dude. It's a robot. What's the, what's to be afraid of? It's a computer.
0: If, if we weren't watching this video, you would have no idea that was a robot. Probably.
1: That gives me the heebie-jeebies.
0: This is what our killers are going to look like. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> all right, so where's this Linux? Okay, now
1: does this thing bother you at all? Okay, that's a little more creepy, yeah. Why would you make that? Why would you construct something like that? What's wrong with people? Because you want to be chased down by robots. No, listen. I find bees creepy. Why would I want to make one 10 times bigger that can look, actually it goes. kill goes. It's going to gallop. It can, I don't like It this. can freaking gallop. I'm get, now, now, now that you mention it, now I'm getting creeped out. Doesn't Google own this? I don't this? like it. I'm
0: done. Google owns this company, right? Pineapples.
1: I had to use that stupid little two-stroke it, motor, too. It, that it, sounds it, like a bee.
0: It can walk on ice.
1: Pineapples. I don't like it. Look at it go, dude That's gonna chase you down one day, man mm-hmm. That's gonna chase you down yeah, Look at a, that thing I got a 50 BMG round with, with uh, that thing's name written on it Look at that thing go, man mm-hmm. This is, this is, these are the robots This yeah. stuff, after the robot war
0: These are the clips we'll play back and be like, we should have known Yeah <laughs> Yes, Douglas <laughs> Douglas You see it recover? Watch, it can recover, too It can recover? Yeah, it can recover from, like, like falls and stuff Oh, yeah Oh man, look at that! That is what your killer looks like, Noah. Look at, watch it. Look at those, look at those legs. Look at that. We're recreating nature, and mm-hmm. it's gonna hunt us. Mm-hmm. The stronger animals will hunt the weaker animals. That's just the way it works. And that is an animal,
1: my friend. Tell me that's not that's, an animal. That's a computer. That's not an animal. It's an I animal. To, I hate to correct you, but that's I'm what dis- an animal moves like. Oh,
0: I have to disagree with your police work there, Lou. Dude, that's what animals. When an animal moves, that's what they move like. That's look, the,
1: that guy. He's all chilly. He doesn't that. mind
0: he's It's like, laying in the forest, waiting for you, and then it just wakes up and it hunts. It could just have it on standby, and then they send it a signal, and now it hunts you.
1: You've seen this Doomsday Prepper show, right? Yeah. Like, I, th- I feel like you're going down that track. Like, I'm not saying that I wouldn't... I don't want to get attacked by a robot. I just think that there are more important things in life to worry about. Like, for example, how many Macs are taking over the world, and how do we fix that? What do we do about it? Yeah, you know, like, that's a real problem. Yeah, well, this is a real problem, too. No. All right, where's
0: the screenshot at, Noah? How the, I don't, How I the don't, hell do know I know make what? this our Runs Linux? Me. Because... I have a relationship with humans in the future. Oh, I think I just found something creepier. <laughs> and we believe that it will be possible to publicly sell them for multiple oh, you uses. Know, I, I
1: know why I can't find it, because I put it in the used folder, because we used it. Hey, That's he funny. wants to sell these robots for multiple uses. What? Okay. Okay, here. But it's a female-looking robot,
0: dude. But I think androids may become our form of communication.
1: Look at... Uh,
0: Dude, are you on the right one? I clicked on the link in the show notes. Look, at that's a robot for multiple uses. It's absolutely necessary that good-looking, enjoyable, and heartwarming robots... Go to six minutes. ...have relationships with humans in the futures. The robot's talking. Go, go to six. Go to okay, six. I will. Okay. But this is... Look at this. Yes. I'll see you again in the bright future. Mm-hmm. Uh, not so bright for you, my dear. Uh, hey, uh, Noah. Uh, Look, uh, LibreOffice is uh, getting my panties all up in a
1: bunch. Uh, over. Roger that, Chris. Sorry to hear about your panties. <laughs> uh, thank you,
0: Noah. Uh, look, look, uh, look, we got to get a go-ahead on this news, and uh, i got to be honest with you. Uh, the news is a real stinker this week, and uh, we're going to need to go ahead and just uh,
1: stretch these stories out. Over. <clears throat> I think your walkie-talkie skills need a little bit of improvement, uh, uh, Chris, but, uh, we're gonna work with you, and, uh, we're gonna get that, uh, straightened out. Uh, ro- 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 <clears throat>
0: roger that, Noah. Uh, look, uh, we got one week until Linux Fest to make this a go, so, uh, we need to hustle on that, uh, training. Uh, back to you, over.
1: Roger that, Chris. Uh, we'll work on it right after the show.